Well, good morning, y'all. For those of us who haven't had an opportunity to meet yet, I want to take a second just to introduce myself. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at CORE. And like Des said earlier, whether today is your very first time here, you're checking us out online, or you're back for the hundredth time, we want you to know how incredibly excited we are and how privileged we feel to get to spend this hour of our week with you. This morning, I want to start by celebrating something that may just move and inspire you. If you've been around here throughout the month of January, you know that we have been pushing something for every single one of us that we believe with all of our hearts facilitates spiritual growth in every single one of our lives. You see, around here, you may have heard us say this one-liner before, that we believe growth happens best in circles, not in rows. And what that means for us is that we believe at some point in every one of our faith journeys that small groups is a step worth taking. And so throughout the month of January, we've been leaning into a new year and a new step of stepping out and considering to move outside of your comfort zone and to be a part of a small group of people who are in a similar season of life, a similar demographic to you, all attempting to move together. And throughout the month of January, we had, this was as of Monday, so I may not have the updated number, but as of Monday, we had 34 new people say they want to join a group to start out 2023. Isn't that incredible? But here is what I also believe, is that some of us, if you're anything like me and you were naturally created an introvert, the excuse that we often fall back on when it comes to taking a next step, like being in a relationship and being in a small group with people, is simply this. I don't want to be the only one who steps out and takes that step. I don't want to be the only one because my group will be awkward and there'll be like two of us from totally different demographics that are joining a small group and they're just going to throw us together and this is going to be weird. But here's what you need to know. There are 34 other people just like you who stepped out and took a risk and stepped out there and are joining a group. And so if you're sitting there this morning and you're saying, man, there are all of these fears that were holding me back, what we want you to know is this. It's not too late to take that step of risk to change your story, to change your future, to change your 2023. All you've got to do is this. Reach into the seat back in front of you and you'll find a red card there. If you flip that open, you can simply check a couple of boxes and we'll get you plugged into a group that will facilitate that growth that we believe God wants for your life and for your future. And that step of risk perfectly launches us in to part five of this series that we've been in that's kicked off our 2023 that we have been calling Win the Day. And if you've been here throughout this series, you know that this entire series revolves around this concept of approaching our new year in a different way than what we've approached any other year previously under this premise. That in approaching 2023 differently than what we approached 2022 or 2021 or any year of our past, it sets us up to experience the life we desire to live from here on out. And yet what many of us know is this, and we've been leaning into this reality in every single one of our lives. You see, many of us know and understand when we look close enough and get honest enough. That there is this one thing in every single one of our lives and in every single one of our stories that often holds us back from living the life we desire. And furthermore, one of the things we talk about around here pretty consistently, that holds us back from actually living the life that God created us to live. And that one thing typically is stress. Am I right? 
is that when we look at our lives and our dreams, our plans, our goals, typically the thing that stands in the way, the hurdle or the obstacle that oftentimes we have to overcome in the pursuit of something better is this thing called stress. And oftentimes the habits that we form in our lives, at least for me, are habits that perpetuate the stress in our lives or even grow the stress in my life. But what if? What if there were some things that we could do differently and some habits that we could begin to implement into our lives that would actually allow us in 2023 to stress less and accomplish more? But what we've been talking about is this, is that if we want to change our lives, we have to change our habits. And that's what this entire series is about. Now, maybe this morning you're sitting there and you're saying, Ben, it sounds like an incredible concept, one that resonates with me, stressing less, accomplishing more, experiencing a better 2023. Then can I challenge you to something? And I know it's early for two challenges already in the message. But maybe you're here for the very first time during this particular series. What would it look like for you over the next couple of weeks of your life in the pursuit of something better for your 2023 to say, I'm going to take some time here and there to go back and to listen to some of the first four parts of the series. And if you're like, four is way too many for me, let me challenge you to this. Last week is a weekend that you cannot miss hearing. Des absolutely knocked it out of the park, and it is a central piece to you and I being able to experience something different in our lives and create habits that revolve around the most important things in our lives. But in every week of this series up until this point, we've honed in on this concept of reframing the way we look at changing the direction of our lives. And we've honed in on this concept of reframing our thought process when it comes to our habit formation and changing our habits and changing our direction because what I'm willing to bet is that y'all are a lot like me. That when it comes to my life and redoing the direction of my life or the habits of my life, or really when we break it down even further, when it comes to trying to change any facet of my life, whether it's financially or physically or relationally, oftentimes changing anything in my life feels like an incredibly daunting task. Anybody there with me? It's like this looks like an elephant that I have been tasked with eating and I have no idea where to start. I don't know how to get there. I don't know if it's possible. And when we look at the goals and the habits and the change that we want to implement into our life as if it's this giant elephant and we continue to frame it through the thought process of, well, this is a year-long thing, or a five-year-long thing, or a ten-year-long thing. What ends up happening for many of us is, much like our New Year's resolutions, we find ourselves throwing in the towel very early on in the process. Or maybe for some of us, throwing in the towel before we even get started. But what would happen if we stopped looking at the game plan for change in our lives as if it was some one-year plan or five-year plan or ten-year plan, and we made the decision to simply focus on doing the right thing and the best thing in that particular area of our life for just one day? You see, I believe things would drastically change in all of our stories if we woke up every single morning and asked the question, can I just do it? for today. 
It's the reason why every single week of this series, we've been coming back to this big question, this imperative question that resets the way in which we attack these new habits and direction for our life. And the question was this, can you simply do it for a day? Can you do the right thing, the best thing, the sustainable thing for, the, for a day? Because what we've been coming back to time and time again is this, is that every single one of our lives, great habits are always sustainable habits. And there's nothing more sustainable than compartmentalizing our habits into day-tight compartments. That I'm only focused on doing this habit for today. And guess what? Tomorrow, I'll wake up and worry about tomorrow. But today, I'm going to win at this thing physically. I'm going to win at this thing mentally. I'm going to win at this thing financially. I'm going to win at this one thing relationally. I'm going to win at this one thing spiritually. And on the back of that, we begin to find things like habits begin to stack up day after day after day. When we don't see it as this giant elephant, but just one day to attack at a time. In 1853, New York hosted the very first World's Fair in the United States. And if you know nothing about the World's Fair, which was actually founded in London two years prior to this, it was essentially a giant convention that was based around entrepreneurs coming and presenting their latest and greatest inventions. It was something that unbeknownst to us some 150 years later, a convention that lasted almost 18 months. And at this such invention in 1854, a guy by the name of Elisha Otis brought his invention to the central of the Crystal Palace. This giant convention center that was built smack dab in the middle of New York City, built entirely of iron and glass. And there, right in the middle of this convention hall, Elisha Otis introduced his invention of the elevator safety brake. Now, at this point in time in American history, in 1854, in New York City, what we really now know within the United States is kind of like the capital of skyscrapers, right? There were only a few buildings that rose five stories tall or higher. The reason? Nobody wanted to take the steps and nobody trusted the safety of the elevator. And yet at the very first World's Fair, Elijah Otis planted himself right smack dab in the middle of the Crystal Palace, standing for every eye to gaze upon him on his elevator stand. And as he stood there, he began to present this new invention that he believed with all of his heart had the potential to change the way in which the world operated, to expand the dreams of people all across the world. Now, I've got a picture for you. This is Elijah Otis giving his presentation of the elevator and the elevator safety break. But there, on that day in 1854, while he was positioned on the elevator stand, he had also, as you can see from the picture, positioned an axeman up above his elevator stand. And to the horror of the crowd, in the middle of his presentation, he yelled to the axeman, Cut the rope! To which the axeman severed the elevator shaft rope. And Elijah Otis plummeted just a few before his elevator safety brake kicked in and stopped the elevator in his tracks. 
On the heels of that presentation in 1854, Elisha Otis installed his very first elevator in New York City, and the rest is history. Over the next 50 years, there were 538 buildings in New York City alone that were classified as high-rise buildings, each installed with its own elevator and elevator safety brake invented by Elisha Otis. You see, sometimes to change your life and even change the world, you have to cut the rope. Sometimes taking a step forward that sets all lives on a different course requires us to abandon this myth, this myth that life on earth is best lived within the comfortable confines of safety. You see, maybe the real truth that we've been missing all along in our pursuit of a better life and the life that God designed for us to live on this earth is that playing it safe isn't really safe at all. And that maybe, just maybe, as we progress through our time here on earth, that the greatest risk we take is not taking the risk at all. You see, even this dude that we walk into this room for some of us, claiming to be followers of this guy named Jesus, he tried to convey this exact same message to you and to me. We find that very thing in the book of Matthew, chapter 16. 2,000 years ago, as he's talking to his disciples, he conveys this message of necessary risk, our ability, our willingness to cut the rope in our lives, to experience, and some of us have never heard this before, to experience what God wanted us to experience. Do you realize we have a heavenly father who sent his son in hopes that in our time here on earth, we could experience life and experience it to the full? Who sent his only son so that you and I could experience a rich and satisfying life on this earth? And yet what our heavenly father also knew was this is that if you really want to experience that, often the rich and satisfying life lies on the other side of risk, of cutting the rope. This is how Jesus puts it. For on this earth, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Jesus is talking all about risk. He's talking all about this propensity in us as humanity to strive for safety and security in our stories and in our journeys. But if we continue to live all lives on earth, trying to save our lives and preserve our safety and security, we will reach the end of our lives and look back and realize somewhere along the way we've lost it. But if we're willing to risk, cut the rope, push the chips to the middle, we will look back and recognize that even the failures and the hiccups and the things that haven't gone as planned, we've actually gained a better life. See, one of the greatest habits that we have is the habit of developing habits that revolve around safety and security. As humanity, there is this developed desire or developed craving for safety that lives in every single one of us. We all, deep down, right, want to feel safe and secure. 
For some of us, there's this desired salary in our mind, right? That if we just reach that salary, then in our lives and in our journeys, we'll finally reach the level of financial security that we need to feel safe. Or for others of us, there's the security system that when placed in our house will finally make us feel the warm and fuzzies of being physically safe within the confines of our own household. Or for some of us, there's that certain level on the organizational ladder. You know what I'm talking about. That when we reach that level within our organization, then we'll finally know that our career is safe and we've reached where we need to reach. Or for others of us, it's the religious safety that we strive for. And it's the boxes that we have to check and we've deemed in our mind that there's a certain number of boxes we have to check. And once we check that many boxes and we just do those things, not, not more than those things, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't want to cost ourselves too much, but if we just check that many boxes, then we'll experience the spiritual safety and security that we need in our lives. Or for others of us, you were created like me and you're an introvert. And as an introvert... In your pursuit of safety, you've convinced yourself that the safest place is by yourself. Or maybe you've gone through relational hurt in your life. And that certainly doesn't feel safe, am I right? And so in our quest for safety and security, we've deemed that the only way to keep myself safe is to exclude myself from any relationship or intimacy or transparency within the confines of relationship in my life and to just do life on my own. Every single one of us has some area of our life where in our pursuit of safety, we've developed habits to keep us secure. And the reason that I say that this craving for safety is developed is because we don't have to look any further than our 18-month-old kids to recognize that that craving for safety and security doesn't always come naturally within us. Am I right? It's the reason why. Your 18-month-old barreled headfirst towards the flight of steps. It's the reason why every single time they'll reach for the dessert in the 400-degree pan that just came out of the oven. It's the reason why they will charge headfirst to the dog that's three times their size, wanting to play with it and give it a hug. It's because in us as humanity, this craving for ultimate safety and ultimate security isn't something that was naturally crafted inside of all of us. But somewhere along the way, as we approached adulthood or moved through adulthood in our life, somewhere along the way, we've convinced ourselves the path to the life we crave is paved with checkpoints of safety all along the way. So naturally, we develop a lot of habits around acquiring safety and security in our lives. But what if I proposed something so preposterous? that it actually had the potential to change your life and change it for the better. See, what if this morning I could convince you that that developed craving in all life for ultimate safety and security is actually the thing that's ruining our lives? You all okay? that there is a different path that's been made available to you and to me at the outset of 2023 that could actually lead us somewhere better and it has no promise of safety and security outside the promise of our Savior who says, no, 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 if you're willing to live that life, you'll reach the end and you'll actually realize you've gained your life. 
You've lived something better. You've realized the rich and satisfying life to the full that my son came to help you experience. But don't believe the spiritual side of things. Maybe you lean more to the science side of things. Do you realize that psychologists have actually studied the effects of playing it safe on us as human beings? And here's what psychologists have found. Psychologists have found that the average human being, at the end of their life, 84% of the regrets they hold while lying on their deathbed revolve around missed opportunities. Do you realize what that means? That when we reach the end of our lives, 84%, y'all, 84% of the regrets we hold when we reach the end of our lives won't be the mistakes that we made, won't be the wrong turns that we've taken. It won't be the moments of our lives in which we have swung and missed. The majority of the regrets that we hold at the end of our lives will actually be the moments of our life in which we chose not to swing at all. That's how powerful playing it safe is in working against us experiencing the life we were designed to live. But the good news is this. There is a remedy to this habit that we've all created of developing habits that keep us safe. And that remedy in every single one of our lives is implementing something that I like to call grand gestures. Or maybe not so much me as an author by the name of Cal Newport. Several years ago, I read a book written by Cal Newport called Deep Work. And he begins to explore this desire in all of us to accomplish great things with our life, within our workplace, within our families. And he began to outline the ways in which we set ourselves up to realize those great accomplishments that we desire to achieve in our lives and to live our best life possible. And the central focus of this book is essentially that in order for us to position ourselves to live a better life and accomplish our dreams and our goals and our lives to stress less and accomplish more, that we must make these things called grand gestures a part of our daily rhythms. Or better termed, we must make grand gestures a habit within our lives. And you're asking the question, well, Ben, what are grand gestures? Well, grand gestures are simply the leaps that we take in all life, the cut-the-rope moments that set a new course for our future. For example, in 1517, a gentleman you may have heard of by the name of Martin Luther nailed a piece of paper to the door of Castle Church, separating himself from his job and the way of life, the only way of life he had known, by re-separating religion and relationship in following Jesus in the form of 95 Thesis. In 1955, a lady by the name of Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the back of a bus simply because of the color of her skin. In 1961, the youngest president of all time, took a giant leap and stood in front of the podium to declare that before the end of the decade, the United States would not only send a man to the moon, but would bring him home safely. 
You see, things like the Protestant Reformation and the Civil Rights Movement and the Space Race were built on grand gestures. A grand gesture is simply a calculated risk that doubles as a defining moment for your life and my life. It can be a romantic gesture of proposing to that special someone. Or a marital gesture of looking at your marriage and the course in which it's taking and taking a step and proposing something to your spouse that is way outside of your comfort zone. That we're doing okay, but maybe for us to do great, the step we need to take, guys, this scares the life out of us, right? Is we need to go to counseling and we want to get even healthier. And we don't call the doctor when we're sick, we call the doctor before we're sick for us to be the healthiest version of ourselves. Maybe for you, the grand gesture is physically. And it's taking that before picture, you know what I'm talking about, at the very beginning of that new diet or that new exercise plan and committing that in six months there's going to be another picture that comes. And that's going to be the after picture. And you have that on your mirror every day for you to shoot for and for you to work towards. It's this grand gesture that pushes you towards something different. It can be a spiritual step. You're committing to step out in this way, man, what I already challenged you to. That this is the year, even though it scares the life out of me, that I'm going to be a part of a small group. And I don't know what that looks like, and I don't know if I can do it or how uncomfortable it's going to be. But there's been a lot of people telling me it'll help me grow. It'll help me get better. And so I'm going to take that step. Or maybe you as a couple say, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is the grand gesture we're going to make spiritually this year. That we're going to pray together or we're going to do a devotion together or we're going to serve together or we're going to start giving together. And not only are we going to make that commitment, but we're going to sit down with this grand gesture and we're going to expose ourselves a little bit to our kids. And we're going to discuss with them why we're taking this grand gesture, this step, this risk, and why it's so important to do so. I'll never forget, I was 10 or 11 years old. The church that I grew up in was going through a similar season to what we are now. This season of growth and excitement, and there was this building expansion that was taking place. And on the heels of this building expansion that we believed was going to, to really further us, to be able to reach further into our city and further into our world, and to make Jesus more known, there was this building campaign that was proposed. And if you don't know anything about a building campaign, essentially it was this ask of people. This ask of people that called our church home to make a commitment over the course of three years financially to help see this expansion project through and to help fund it and to give to it over and above what your regular giving or offering was. And I'll never forget, one night we were sitting down at dinner, and as we were preparing for the day where we had to turn in what the commitment was going to be, my mom and dad sitting down with us as a family at the dinner table and having a conversation. A conversation that revolved around this building campaign. And they began to discuss with us like what this meant and what they were processing through and the things that they were praying through and how they were trying to decide what to commit and what to sacrifice. And I'll never forget my mom and dad at that first discussion around that table looking at us and saying, hey, we just wanted you to know. And like this was transparency. I was a 10-year-old. I didn't really understand anyways, but they just laid it on the table. Like this is the exact amount of money every single month that we feel like we're being called to give to this campaign. And then they said this, and we don't have that money. 
It does not make sense on paper. We don't know where it's going to come from. And just so you know, as kids, it may cost you something that you're used to somewhere along the way. And we're stepping out, and in this moment, we're cutting the rope because we believe that this is what God will call us, is calling us to. And as much as I remember the first conversation, I will never in my life remember or forget the second conversation. About a month later, we sat down to dinner again. My parents circled back to that first conversation of the campaign and the commitment that they made and that cut the rope moment. No, it didn't make sense and they didn't have the money. And that I'll never forget, my dad shared with us. Just a couple weeks ago at my job, I was presented with a, a new job or a new opportunity within my job. And in taking this new opportunity, the salary increase that was granted to me was to the dollar the exact amount that we had committed to the building campaign that we had no idea where it was going to come from. And you see, to this day, what I believe with all of my heart is that the second conversation would have never been possible without the first. Is that essentially my parents set the example of what it looked like to cut the rope in preparation of setting yourself up, positioning yourself to have a front row seat to see God do what only he can do. But you don't get to see only God moments unless you cut the rope and you put yourself into a position in which the platform is going to fall unless the safety brake catches it. And we all have an incredible safety brake on our side, a God who wants to show up and show off on our behalf. But we limit that in our lives when we continue to believe that the path towards the life we desire is paved with checkpoints of safety. We were designed for so much more, so much better than that. You see, grand gestures are this point of no return. And I believe with all of my heart, every single one of us in this room, whether you're in middle school, high school, or a slightly older adult, we'll just combine all of us into that. That we all have these moments, these opportunities of grand gestures in our life. And don't fool yourself, y'all, because I know the mind games that I play are probably a lot like yours. You're like, oh, yeah, Ben, you just went through the Protestant Reformation, and you just went through the Civil Rights Movement, and you just went through the Space Race. I ain't got no cut-the-rope moment in my life that looks anything like that. Just because your cut-the-rope moment isn't newsworthy doesn't make it any less noteworthy for your future. Hello. It is a step worth taking that God, I believe with all of my heart, is calling you to take in this moment. And those moments are as old as time, y'all. They have been presented to every single one of us as humanity. Noah built the ark. The Israelites marched around Jericho for seven days. Elisha burnt all of his plowing equipment. Benaiah chased the lion into a pit on a snowy day. Peter got out of the boat. James and John threw away their fishing nets and their careers. The God of the universe sent his only son to become man and die on a cross for a group of people who didn't deserve it. For every single one of us, there always comes a cut-the-rope moment. But it is predicated on our ability to recognize that too often, 
the pain of staying the same is actually greater than the pain of change. In our lives, in our stories, at the beginning of 2023, we must realize the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And there is this incredible story that I want to share with you all really quickly. It's a story we find when Jesus was walking on this earth doing his ministry in those three short years before he went to that cross. And it's a story where Jesus really sets up. He asks these two questions at the end of this story that really sets us up 2,000 years later to become people who are capable of cutting the rope and taking the risks necessary. But there's some incredible bits and pieces throughout a couple of these verses that I don't want to miss before we get to the last two questions that set us on a new direction. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, the story goes like this. And to give you some historical context, Jesus has just finished like a, a day-long healing, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, healing seminar or service. Like he's been in one town and he's just been like healing people. Like you get eyesight and you get healed from deafness. And he's just going around, right? Like Oprah, I don't know if I should say that. And then just giving out healing to everybody. And it's an incredible day, but as you can imagine, it's draining, right? Like Jesus is just relationally involved with so many hurting people. And so what do they decide? All right, we're tired. Let's get in the boat. Let's get away. And let's go across the Sea of Galilee to another city. Let's rest and then we'll start all over again. And so this is how the story goes. As evening came, and I think this is so incredible, right? Right from the very get-go. Like it just sets us up mentally. Like you ever been to the ocean? Isn't the ocean scarier at night than what it is in the day? And here they are. It's like, okay, the sun's gone down. We're going to take them out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee with the choppy wind and the waves happening where the fear is at its highest. Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind. You see, if we can stop for just a minute. See, what I believe with all of my heart is that oftentimes if we want to position ourselves for the grand gestures that we're being called to, oftentimes it requires you and me to be willing to leave the crowds And really, it requires that of us for two reasons. One, because if we want to experience what no one else is experiencing, we have to be willing to do what no one else is doing. And so you need to stop taking your cues from everybody else and what everybody else deems as normal. But secondly, you have to stop listening to everything. See, what's no secret to many of us is that we live in a world in which it is very easy for us to see and hear everything about anything and anything about anyone, anytime we want. And oftentimes in our lives, if you're anything like me, you hit moments where you're like, I don't have any idea what my next grand gesture is supposed to be. I don't know what the risk is. I don't know what I'm being called to next. And maybe this is nothing like you. Maybe this is just Ben Carver, and that's totally fine. But oftentimes, the reason why I reach that point into where I'm like, I have no idea what God is calling me to, it's because I can't hear God's voice. The pastor just said that. But what I've realized is that if I want to turn up the still small voice of God, it requires me to turn down the white noise of the world. 
You see, the voice you listen to most will always be the loudest voice in your life. So who are you listening to? Sometimes you need to separate yourself from the crowd and the noise to be able to hear the voice of the God who's pointing you in a better direction. The story continues. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. And y'all, I'm going to spare you. I could do a five-minute message right here on naps, but I'm going to sort of simplify it down to 30 seconds. You see, what we can't miss in this is that oftentimes, in order for us to be ready to embark on the grand gestures and the risky moments of life, it requires us to predicate that with a season of rest, being willing to rest and being willing to be healthy, not just physically, but emotionally, mentally, spiritually in our lives, and not burning ourselves out, not going, going, going. I'm not good at this, y'all. But Jesus sets this example for us. The disciples woke him, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, if you can just imagine this moment with me, right? Like there was all of this chaos happening around and then there was like this deafening moment where you can hear a pin drop and yet you can cut through the tension with a knife. Because Jesus is about to drop a bomb right in the middle of all this. He looks at his followers. And here's the connection point, y'all. I believe with all of my heart, he's looking at you and he's looking at me. In the moments in which we encounter the opportunities to cut the rope, and he asks the exact same questions. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And there are these two words at the end of that second question that are implied. Do you still have no faith in me? What's holding you back from taking the step you know deep down you are being called to take and risking it and pushing the chips to the middle? You're being faced with these moments in which you know in order to move forward and experience a rich and satisfying life, you have to cut the rope. But you're allowing your fear to hold you back. This created desire for safety and security to hold you back from the best life possible, from the best year possible. And you see, what I believe with all of my heart is that every single one of us in this room at this moment are encountering one of two cut-the-rope moments. The first, for some of us, is what I like to call the field of dreams moment. It's the moment in which you have a dream, you see a better life, a better future that you want to live, and yet getting there requires, for you, requires you to refuse to sell the farmland, even though you're going bankrupt requires you to build the field in the middle of the cash-producing farm. If you haven't seen Field of Dreams, watch it. It's got Kevin Costner, for Pete's sake. <laughs> it's this Field of Dreams moment in which you have to make a choice, even when it doesn't make sense. If I want to reach that better, I have to be willing to risk a little, and I have to be willing to cut the rope. For others of us, we find ourselves oftentimes in cut-the-rope moment, too. This is what I like to call the enough-is-enough moment. 
Where we fully recognize that I'm tired of being stuck in stagnation. I'm sick of stagnation in my life and being where I'm at. I see this brokenness in my story, my marriage, my finances, my relationships, or in my world, my city, my workplace, and nobody's standing in the gap. And this isn't right, and it can't continue to be this way. And so I'm going to be the enough is enough person, and I'm going to be the one that takes a risk to stand in the gap and to do something about it. You see, I believe if we look close enough, every single one of us have one of those two scenarios in our lives. And sometimes we become really good at ignoring it, or we've pushed it to the side for so long that we don't even know that it's there, but it is there, y'all. It's there, y'all. But the question is, are you willing to cut the rope, to take the risk, to put it on the line for something better, knowing that the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change? But the question you might be asking, and this is where we're going to finish, is this. Well, Ben, how do I cut the rope? I don't even know where to start or how to do that. I don't know how to position myself to be able to take the necessary risk. I want to give you two things really quickly that will help you take steps towards risk and cutting the rope. The first is this. Is that if you want to position yourself best to cut the rope, you have to start on your knees. See, oftentimes, what we fail to recognize is that in order for us to live our best life possible, prayer is essential. But if you're an idiot like Ben Carver, my natural progression is this. I see a dream and a vision, and I just charge towards it first. And then I find myself hitting the first roadblock, hitting the first oh crap moment, and what do I do? God, I need you now. Save me. Help me. Do something. I live out the risky moment of my, life, of my life making prayer the last resort, when it was always designed to be the first resort. Why? Because prayer ultimately does two things. Prayer in our life connects us to that still, small voice that provides direction in my life for something better, for something greater. It provides direction better than anyone or anything else in our world can. But secondly, prayer also connects us to the mountain mover. It connects us to the one capable of moving mountains on our behalf. It's the reason why Jesus talked about this with his disciples. Check this out. He says, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain that you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that, you've received it. It'll be yours. And then John, a guy that followed Jesus around for three years, he continues on that same track. It's like he took what Jesus told them as disciples and then he expounds upon it in this way. He says this, and we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything. And I'm not going to spend any time on this, y'all, but some of us, we may need to underline this for a little bit of clarity. We ask for anything that pleases him. That's for the glory of God and the will of God. And since we know he hears us when we make our requests, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. You see, if we want to be risk takers that change our lives and change the world, we have to hit our knees. But then, once we hit our knees first, we have to be courageous enough to finish on our feet. 
to get on your feet. And y'all, we don't talk about this enough because sometimes I think we don't talk about it because it makes a lot of us uncomfortable, but it doesn't minimize the truth of this. Do you realize that if you walked into this room as a follower of Jesus and a relationship with Jesus, that you have spiritual authority? Paul talks about this again and again. He said it in his, in his letter to the Romans. He said it to, in his letter to the church in Ephesus. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in you. And y'all, you're going to have to hang on for a y'all okay moment. I figured I'd just preface it so that you were ready for it. What we oftentimes don't recognize is this is that the spiritual authority we have been granted is no good if we don't do something. Y'all okay. We have to get moving. We have to take the risk. We have to do something. We have to stand in the gap. We have to be tone setters. We have to be grace givers. We have to be empathetic listeners that no one else in our world is willing to be. Our spiritual authority goes to waste if we don't get on our feet and get doing something. And yet know this, y'all. Oftentimes in the moments of cutting the rope, we have not been called to walk by sight, by what makes sense, by what we see. Paul also writes this. We walk by faith. We walk by faith. And that allows us with confidence to get on our feet and start moving. We've cut the rope. Maybe you find yourself oftentimes paralyzed by the fear that comes with every risk of your life. And I don't know if this will help you or not, but as a follower of Jesus, the one thing that we get to cling to in the moments of fear of our lives is the same things the disciples should have clung to. That we always have a God who is large and in charge. God who is in control. A God who holds the world in his hands. And when we cling tightly to that, it allows us, even in the uncertainty, even in the risk, to be willing in our lives to cut the rope. And so the question I ask myself is the same I'd like to ask of you. It's the same one that Jesus asked us 2,000 years ago. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith in me? It's time to cut the rope. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, God, we thank you for being a God who knows what it takes to experience a rich and satisfying life. But we thank you that you're not just a God who knows that. You're also a God who loves us enough to want that for us and to give us instruction on how to get there. You're a God who never leaves us to figure it out on our own. And yet, God, you're also a Father who never forces us to take steps. A God who will never force us to cut the rope, even though you know it leads to something better.
we leave that to our own faith, to our own courage. So God, on this day, for every single one of us, as we face those field of dreams moments, those enough is enough moments, may we be courageous enough to stop developing habits that keep us safe and secure, to realize that playing it safe isn't safe at all. Begin to develop habits that make us more and more comfortable with cutting the rope in our lives. It's in your name that we pray.